Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Hello, dear listeners. This is Jackson Hogan here with you again. This week, I want to talk about the top 10 reasons that U.S. ski sales have shrunk since their apex sometime in maybe the late 80s, early 90s, to where they have fallen to today, a considerable plunge, as I'll document momentarily. I brought this subject up to my readership a few weeks ago, my readership on revelations on my site, realskiers.com, and I got responses from a couple of people, for which I'm grateful, and they listed their top 10 reasons. But what I'm going to talk about today are my top 10 reasons. And when I posted the responses of my two responding readers and my own position on the top 10 reasons, I got quite a tsunami of responses back from my readers. So I was very grateful for that. And I wanted to share it now with my listening community via this podcast. Going back to my top 10 list, my draft of the 1986-87 Solomon Marketing Plan, where I was a product manager for North America and responsible for one thing is calculating the size of the market. And I came up with a figure then of the binding market of one and a quarter million pairs in the U.S. market. Now, this I don't think was quite the high water mark, but nonetheless, we have now fallen to a level where I speculate that the total market is about what Solomon's share was then, or around 550,000 units of alpine skis being sold at retail in the U.S. market. Now, what are my extremely scientific, totally award-winning speculations as to why the U.S. ski market has slumped despite a growing population of potential skiers? Drum roll, please. Number one, unless you dumpster dive, the total cost of outfitting a skier is budget crushing. I want to hasten to point out that skis are part of that total, but they are not the dominant part. It's things like helmets, clothes, lodging, restaurants, travel. These are the elements that put the budget ultimately out of reach. You'll find that there will be echoes of this low-cost problem or insufficiently low-cost problem are going to reverberate throughout this top 10 list that I'm going to continue to enumerate with number two, which is the prevalence of high-end demos. It is so much easier to travel without skis. Thank you, airlines, for having implemented baggage fees that make it stupid to carry your own skis or certainly to carry several pairs of your own skis to any sort of Western destination, uh, they made that so unattractive that they have made the alternative, which is renting an exquisitely tuned, perfectly prepared that year's ski, not what some old tired warhorse of your own, that you can go out and rent for, let's say, $50 a day. And you're, in a sense, ahead of the game because you have better equipment and a lot less hassle, and you don't quite feel so bad about handing over money for something that should be included in the price of your ticket dear airline owner. The other problem that hits the skier in the face when they want to go skiing is the cost of a daily ticket. This is number three on my list, but it could be number one just as easily, sort of like ski test reviews in that sense. <laughs> you, can, you can juggle the top three any way you like. The cost of a daily ticket is what the customer sees, and it's also what they're obliged to pay if they just walk up to the window. And I don't know that we'll have any walking up to any windows this year. It looks like we'll be doing a lot of skiing my reservation in 2021, but we don't know that yet. But what we do know is that the daily lift ticket price is effectively a complete deterrent to anyone who might want to say, hey, how about going skiing? Well, they're going to find something else to go do when they find out what it's going to cost just for one of them just to go up the lift for a day. Point number four, 
We've lost so many feeder areas. This nation used to have hundreds, yes, dear listeners, I got that right, hundreds of Morsky areas that were local. They were family-run. Uh, maybe the uh, engine that got the rope tow running was pulled out of a pickup truck, but it was skiing. And when snowmaking became a necessity, when swank amenities became the marketing necessity for a ski area, and when insurance costs rose through the roof, these small local areas just couldn't afford to keep up, and they folded by the dozens. And therefore, we don't have handy local access to a lot of communities that used to have it. And families just aren't going to drive two or three, four hours all the time to feed an addiction for maybe one or two kids that might be possible if they were only traveling, say, a 30 or 40 mile loop to get the little tykes out on the hill. So the loss of the small ski areas was critical to the loss of access and therefore the decline in the skier population, which then affects the ski sales population. Number five, the extinction of public school trips and programs. I think just this year we lost the Eskimo Club at Winter Park, which was 3,000 kids in most winter weekends. And there were other clubs on the slopes of Winter Park and other ski resorts. And we've lost a lot of these. God bless us. We still have Sky Tavern here in Reno. But the loss of a lot of public school trips and programs in a lot of communities, for whatever reasons, have eroded the building of family sports skiing. Another problem that's related to this in the public school system is that parents, of course, need to get their kids or like to get their kids through college. And if they've got any skill as an athlete, it'd be great if they were in a scholarship sport. And once you're in a scholarship sport that isn't called skiing, you're going to find that you have no time, you have no budget, and you may even have to sign a document saying that you will not go skiing during the term of junior's time in whatever collegiate sport they're aiming for. So the public school system has gone from a feeder to a blocker in terms of youth participation, which of course is a killer long-term for every other aspect of the sport. Point number six, the fragmentation of the sport. Once upon a time, alpine skiing was focused on racing and technique. That was it. We had a single icon. Everyone wanted to ski like Stein. There was no triple Stein. There was no upside. Well, there was an upside down Stein now that I think about it. He covered that base as well. But my point here is we now have multiple icons. We have all sorts of corners of the winter sports world that are divided into all sorts of little subsets from extreme skiing to pipe and park skiing. And talent and attention and dollars are spread thin. In my estimation, snowboarding is not a reason why ski sales have declined. In fact, snowboarding has fed ski manufacturers in a certain way that have probably helped those brands. But Snowboarding is one branch of the tree that certainly has distracted from having a single icon. You have all the snowboard icons piled in with all the ski icons in terms of the global winter sport pantheon. And that reduces, I think, the public's ability to focus on skiing as the embodiment of winter sport. Point number seven, the collapse of general sporting goods. If you opened the Denver Post or the Rocky Mountain News back in the 1980s, anytime in the fall, you saw full-page ads loaded with nothing but 
ski packages at $199, The brands were able to feed this sporting goods channel with multiple what we call SMUs or special makeup products, which uh, appealed to this package market because you put together your own specialty ski and your own specialty boot and you had your own specialty price, which of course ended up being similar to the guy across the street's price. But because there was a guy across the street, you had cooks and guards spending a fortune in the Denver market promoting skiing. And over in Salt Lake, you had Sunset and Wolves. And on the East Coast, you had Hermans. And in the Southeast, you had Oshmans and Sports Authority and Bavarian Village up in uh, Michigan. And those are all gone. And all the equipment that they sold is dried up. The, the low-end market that they used to feed and populate heavily is all but gone, replaced by the rental market. Point number eight internet sales. Now, again, we can argue about where this belongs really on the scale because internet sales have certainly affected uh, retail for everybody. To some degree, it's leveled the playing field because it's allowed a lot of tiny brands and small batch producers to infiltrate the market because they don't have to go through the expense of trying to maintain a retail network, which is a very pricey proposition. But selling direct is not a very pricey proposition. Uh, Internet sales are pretty much being done by everybody now. I don't know of any brand except maybe Stokely who doesn't have any sort of presence in terms of selling on the internet. Pretty soon, a couple of behemoths are going to have cradle-to-grave product sold through the internet to try to replace brick and mortar, both with more brick and mortar of their own and by crushing ability to control all pricing through the internet. Point nine, um, just alluded to, the proliferation of small batch producers is not to be overlooked in terms of sales by mainstream suppliers. You can say, well, put them together with the bundle and they're not a reduction. But I treat them somewhat as a reduction because they don't market the same way the major brands do. And they don't tend to feed the market financially the way major brands did in terms of supporting youth participation or just in terms of getting the word out about skiing and driving skier participation across a broad general network of the general public instead of a very targeted focused group like, let's say, pipe and park skiers, for example. The disintegration of specialty retail channel is point number 10. Just as we've lost the mass market guys, the specialty retailers as well that feed the high end and the mid market to upper market, uh, there isn't a major American market that hasn't lost a benchmark specialty retailer in the last 25 years. And these are family-run shops that provided a lot of the connective tissue that binds skiers together in a specific region. And by and large, when these great family institutions were gone, they have not been replaced. Now, because this is my list, I have more numbers. I have an 11. And that has an echo from something I mentioned earlier. There's a disconnect between a lot of the sports niche heroes and the general public. Obviously, those niche heroes are there because they are genuine heroes to the niche that they serve. But it's not the same as when the hero looked and skied like the person viewing them and seemed to be doing a similar activity. Racing in the old days looked a lot like skiing, only there were gates. But now we have all sorts of activities that don't look exactly like skiing, or they certainly don't look like skiing that the general public does. And the more skiing looks impossible, then I think we remove ourselves a little bit from the general public's willingness to give it a try. 
Uh, it's no point in looking terrifying to a public you're trying to entice. And finally, my point 12, retailers have to band together to survive in this world. And there are a couple of retailer consortiums that control essentially how well the high-end market is distributed. They're, they don't have that type of power. They're not a uh, totally monolithic institution, but together they have an enormous amount of clout. And they, because they have that clout, they can ask for special pricing from manufacturers so that they can stay afloat. Listen, I am all in favor of the specialty retailer, and they need, if anything, more margin, not less margin, so that they can stay alive. But when money moves from the budget of a major brand, who, when it's compiled with all the other budgets, they're going to they're going to end up sacrificing to meet these prices, they lose the ability to communicate on a broadband level that isn't going to be replicated in the small band level by the retailers who are benefiting from the price breaks. Not saying they don't do any local marketing. Almost all family shops do a great job in trying to community market. But the impact on the global level, I think, has been reduced because we don't have a large enough pile uh, in any one larder to speak with a higher voice. Now, that's my list. It's not comprehensive. I'd love to hear from you at realskiers.com, where I'm always there for you every week with a fresh revelation. Remember, Real Skiers members can always send their inquiries directly to me, and normally I'll answer you within, say, 48 hours or so. So if you want to open a dialogue one-on-one, I'm here for you. This has been Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Thanks for listening.